I'm really looking forward to sharing in this teaching time together today. Whether my side of this conversation happens in front of a camera or from a makeshift parking lot stage, and whether your side of the conversation comes from a device with a screen or from a parking space sitting in your camping chair, when we meet, we come together in one name. We come together for one purpose. And when we come together, the words we share together have the ability to teach, to challenge, and to transform our hearts and lives, not just for now, but also for eternity. Words, you see, have power. In fact, in 1839, English author Edward Bulwer-Lytton declared that the pen is mightier than the sword. The author of the book of Hebrews in our New Testament part of our Bibles declared in the fourth chapter of Hebrews, he says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, a cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Words. Words indeed have power. With a word, we can encourage, elevate, comfort, and even celebrate. And with a word, we can also crush, degrade, diminish, and destroy. A word can remind us of positive memories, invoke pleasant images, and make us feel warm and fuzzy. Or they can stir up bad moments, trigger negative emotions, and literally put a bad taste in our mouth. Words have power. Today, we step into our new teaching series, which is based on one word, and the importance and the power of it. This new series is simply titled, Christian. And it's all about following Jesus in the 21st century. As an indication of where we're headed, consider these words. Words have history. And in order to understand a word itself better, it is essential to understand that word's history. And that is true of the word Christian. We ask the questions, what is a Christian? And what does it mean for you and for me to be a Christian in the 21st century? Christian. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've chosen to accept the forgiveness that he offers because of his death on the cross and was proven by his resurrection, if you are allowing him to recreate you, to make you new, to make your life look more and more like his well, there is a widely accepted name for you, and it is the name Christian. And that name Christian is for every follower of Jesus, but it wasn't always so. We might assume, and possibly rightly so, that in the Bible, every believer, starting with Jesus' closest followers, well, they were just naturally called Christians, we might also assume that the word Christian is scattered throughout all the pages of the New Testament part of our Bibles, but it's not. In fact, the word Christian is never even found in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those books that record Jesus' life and earthly ministry. In all the letters that Paul wrote to the various churches and the individuals that make up them, Right, The majority of our New Testament part of our Bibles was written by Paul, who some view as, well, like this super Christian. He never once addressed his audience as Christians. 
Now, it's true. We have descriptive names for Jesus' closest guys. And Paul, well, he had names that he used to address the people he wrote to and wrote about in all of his letters. They were called followers or disciples, believers, brothers and sisters, those belonging to the Lord. Yes, they were called all these things, but they were never called Christians. In fact, when we read in the book of Acts, which is a collection of the recorded history of the early church, we find that several times in that book, this religious movement that was centered on the resurrected Christ was simply known of as the way. The way. And see, the idea behind that name was that Jesus proclaimed that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And that he was the way and the only way to God the Father. Now, personally, I think that's a great name, the way. Maybe it's not very descriptive, you know, kind of an insider sort of name, a, a secret handshake kind of name, but it was a cool name nonetheless. Back in the 1970s, I was not anywhere close to being cool, but I had a cool Bible. It was a paperback living Bible paraphrase, and it was called The Way. Now, if you are a child of the 70s and you grew up in church like me, you may have actually owned one as well. Now, my Bible didn't say the Holy Bible. It said the way. It had a cool name. But it wasn't until I was all grown up that I realized where that name actually came from. And today, we may still use the words followers and disciples and believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, those belonging to the Lord, as descriptors and as titles for those who... Well, for those who follow Jesus, and we use those words because we and the majority of people around us, well, they got a pretty good idea of who and what we're talking about. And while we still use those names, nobody, well, at least nobody that I know, calls any of us who follow Jesus the way. We're called Christians, not just by ourselves, but by others as well. But I think that for those of us who follow Jesus, that Christian, that too is a pretty good name. But as stated previously, those who place their faith in Jesus, they weren't initially known as Christians. Jesus never said, if you follow after me, you'll be known as Christians. When we read in the book of Acts about the birth of what we now call the church, Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers and an early church leader, never declared for the people to repent, be baptized, and become a Christian. The word Christian only appears three times in our whole Bible. In fact, when it's introduced in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, it's parenthetical, almost like an afterthought or a, oh, by the way, uh, let's go ahead and read from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 23. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of those Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit 
and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And here it is, parentheses. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. <laughs> End of the parentheses. That's it. No explanation, no clarification. Years before when the church was persecuted in Jerusalem, the followers of Jesus or members of the way were scattered and some had settled here in Antioch. And we read that the good news of Jesus was being proclaimed boldly there and the community of believers was growing. Matthew Henry talked about this in his commentary on the book of Acts and he stated, the enemies designed to scatter and lose them Christ designed to scatter and use them. And use them he did. And there at Antioch, someone called these believers Christians. And it stuck. Now, there are only two other times that the word Christian is used in the New Testament part of our Bibles. And both times when you read it, it seems like it could have been used or directed at the believers as kind of a, in a negative sense. Historians will tell us that the culture of those in Antioch, well, that culture kind of lent itself to negatively labeling groups. And so it's possible that the name Christian initially was intended as a disparaging term. How ironic if a tag or a label or name that may have been meant as demeaning became the name that would not only identify us, but would also unify those of us who follow Jesus some 2,000 years later. Others have suggested that instead of being vaguely called followers of the Nazarene or the cryptically designed group, a defined group of people named the way, that the believers themselves came up with the phrase, that they donned the title and the identity as Christians. Either way, uh, there is beauty in the name. And we should be able to wear it proudly, but more importantly, we should be ready to declare it boldly. You see, the name Christian is so fitting and so important because for the early church, as well as for you and for me, it shows that we are aligned with the very one who bears the name, Jesus Christ. And let me pause for a moment and make a confession. Just as I had a Bible called The Way and didn't know what it was really referring to, even though I grew up in the church, it was a long time before I realized that Christ was not and is not Jesus's last name. Now, lest you judge me too hard, I'm pretty sure that for some of you who did not grow up in the church, it took more than a moment to realize that Jesus Christ was a real person and not just two words that your dad exclaimed loudly when he hit his thumb with a hammer. Now, though we call him Jesus Christ, Christ is really not part of his name. Plain and simple. Jesus would have been known as Jesus of Nazareth to identify him with where he was from, or Jesus, son of Joseph, to identify whose family he was a part of. The word Christ is his title. It simply means the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that was promised to the nation of Israel, chosen by God the Father to be their Savior, their Deliverer, their King. And much like you might refer to Josh Haltom as Pastor Josh because of his title, you would never assume that his first name or even his nickname 
was pastor. Jesus was the name his mother Mary was told by an angel to give him. Christ was the title that God the Father gave him. Jesus the Christ. And it's that name Christian that comes from the title Christ with the suffix of I-A-N, which means belonging to, relating to, or being like. You see, when we take the name of Christian, we declare that we belong to, relate to, or declare that we have chosen to be like the Christ, to identify with him, to become one of his You know, I do a fair amount of weddings and I always try to do some counseling with the couple beforehand. One of the questions I always ask is if the bride will take the last name of the groom. Now, I ask it partly because I don't want to pronounce them in front of their friends and their family as Mr. and Mrs. John Doe, when in reality, his name is staying John Doe, but her name is staying Jane Smith. I mean, there's no need to cause excessive embarrassment for all of us, don't you know? Now, there's no criticism from me if a couple chooses to, well, to retain separate last names. But I do believe that there is something special, something to be noted when a person chooses to take on the identity of the person they are uniting with and the family that they are entering into. You see, when they choose to wear their new name proudly for the world to know And the world to see, well, that's something. And the same is true when we choose to wear a name that declares our commitment to and our unity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we declare to the world, we declare to the world that we're leaving behind our former self, our former labels, our former identity, and we are now resting securely in our identity with Christ. When we first read in Acts chapter 11 that it was there that the believers were first called Christians, I think it's worth noting that up to this point, there were still some major distinctions being made among those who were choosing to follow after Jesus. And not only were there distinctions between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, but there were actually questions of whether Gentiles could become believers. But the beauty is that under the name of Christ, there was to be no more division No more distinction, no Jews, no Greeks, no Gentiles, just Christians, just people with a new found identity in Christ. If you've been with us for the last four weeks, we've been teaching through a series on unity. And if you've missed any of those teachings, you will find it so worth your while to go back to our website under the latest messages and give them a, give them a watch or give them a listen. The series was centered on the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, that his disciples would be one. And Jesus himself declared that when the world would see the unity of the Christians, that the world would know that Jesus was sent by God and that God does love the world. You see, the early church could have easily found themselves divided over history and heritage and spiritual understanding and whether or not to keep the law. They could have also been easily divided on leadership and benevolence and on the roles people played in the church, and they were. Just like the early church, we can be divided on so many things. Which version of the Bible to use? Do we believe certain end-time prophecies? What songs we sing on a Sunday morning? Leadership choices, even interpretations of the exact same verses of Scripture. 
we could be divided on those things. And sometimes we are. But there was something that allowed the early church to grow in faith, to multiply in their numbers, and 2,000 years later, to continue to be a catalyst that changes our families, changes our culture, and changes our very lives. And what was it? Well, it was a united cause, a united purpose, and a united passion carried out under the united name of Christ. And when the unbelieving world saw the care that Christians had for one another, when the world saw the love that Christians have for one another, when the world saw the compassion, the mercy, and the forgiveness that Christians had for one another, when the world saw that Christians did not live as those whose identity was in their power, their prestige, their politics, or their past, I believe that the world wanted what they had. And they wanted to know who they knew that caused them to live and act this way. You see, their identity was in Christ. And as a result, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the very same thing, the very same should hold true for us today. You see, when we wear the name Christian, the watching world should see and know that there is something different and desirable about us and consequently about the Christ that we serve. Far too often, the world has seen the Christians divided by politics and policies, by causes and crusades, by doctrines and denominations. And as it was with the early church, so too it is with you and me when our identity is in Christ. When we submit to the laws of Christ, when we follow the example of Christ, when we strive in every way to honor Christ, our example should draw others to him. Our presence and our actions and our interactions should not just make an impact, but they should leave a lasting impression. Think about that. Kind of like the smell of a campfire smoke on someone's clothes or the scent of Old Bay on someone who just ate crabs and whatever that glorious smell is that permeates out of a Subway sandwich shop. Have you ever noticed that it's like there are some smells that always seem to linger, the smells that tell others where you have been? You see, their aroma always gives you away. To the church in Ephesus, the Paul that was mentioned in Acts 11 wrote, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Paul's audience, converts to Christianity from Judaism, recognized that sincere sacrifices made to God were received by him as a pleasing fragrance. God took note, but so did others. Friends, when we live a life of love and sacrifice following Jesus' example, there should be things that people notice. There should be something about us that just seems to linger. In a sermon he preached, Todd Lynn said, there is a certain quality among the committed followers of Jesus Christ that is immediately recognizable by others. Some Christians walk into a room and there is an aroma about them that permeates their entire bodies. It's in everything. And you can tell where they've been. The aroma gives them away. They've been with Jesus. 
Christians, let's wear the name. Let's live the life like Jesus because we have been with him.